You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome, welcome, welcome to Monday Afternoon right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. This is Steve, and I welcome you to this week's episode of Fired Up right here. We're going to dive into some of the political news that's been going on around the country in the last week. Uh, But first, as always, we're going to start off with our update on the coronavirus COVID-19 situation. So as of today, uh, Monday, we have 33 million cases that have been reported. Uh, 586,000 people have died from the disease and 272.4 million vaccinations have been administered. Uh, counting first and second doses, and about 150 to 160 million people have received their full dosage out of that number. So we are continuing to make our strong progress in the fight against uh, coronavirus. And in light of that, a couple of news events, uh, one minor, but, you know, important to me, but one major and important to the country, uh, the minor one first, uh, as I told you last week uh, on Monday, I got my second shot of the Moderna uh, vaccine, and I will report to you that I have had zero side effects from that shot. Uh, I feel great, and I'm really happy to, to be fully immunized now, um, and I encourage everyone to, uh, to do what I did, to go out there and get themselves vaccinated if you haven't already. So, you know, as I said, I've been waiting for a while to get the vaccine and uh, segueing from that into the the big news that was announced this week. The Centers for Disease Control announced on Thursday that those that have been vaccinated uh, have no longer a requirement to uh, wear a mask while they're uh, out in public and also in, in indoor spaces uh, with a few exceptions. Um, you know, travel, airplanes, buses, trains, public transportation, uh, there is still a mask requirement. But other than that, if you are fully vaccinated and the people that are around you are also vaccinated, uh, according to the CDC, uh, you can take the mask off, you know, and that's a great thing. Um, but a- as I said, the guidance still calls for wearing masks in crowded indoor settings, uh, including, you know, buses, planes, hospitals, prisons, homeless shelters, uh, but it will help clear the way for reopening workplaces, schools, and other venues. So sporting venues and, you know, other public gathering venues um, will be reduced as we go forward from this point. Uh, Several states have already acted to uh, fully rescind their mask mandates uh, within their state. Uh, Others are studying what the CDC, the guidance that's being put out, and looking at how they can implement it safely in their state. Uh, But the key is, you know, again, we've been waiting for this for a long time. And um, Dr. Walensky, who is the director of the CDC, you know, brought that point out in you know, press interviews on Thursday and, and Friday, saying, you know, it, it, we have been waiting for this for a long time when we can get back to some sense of normalcy. 
Um, so, you know, she, she is echoing what many of us feel. Uh, there's, you know, this is not happening without some controversy. Um, you know, it is, it is a great thing that millions of Americans uh, who have done the right thing, who have gotten vaccinated, uh, who have been following the guidelines, can now, you know, return to a more normal lifestyle. Uh, but, you know, there's also been some press reports out there about uh, people who have not gotten the vaccine uh, saying that they've gotten the vaccine. There was one announcement of a uh, large arrest that occurred out in uh, the Midwest uh, where people were forging the CDC COVID uh, vaccination uh, record cards. Uh, and selling those. Uh, one gentleman was selling them out of his bar. He is now uh, under arrest and, you know, in jail awaiting trial. His bar has been shut down. His liquor license has been revoked. Um, and, you know, truth be told, you know, we, we, we have to have seen this coming. Um, there, there is no marking. There's no identification ban. You know, th there's nothing that can distinguish someone who has been fully vaccinated from those who have not. You know, the, the government and the administration are sort of counting on the honor system for people to you know, self-assess and realize that if they have not received the vaccination, that they still need to follow the CDC safety protocols. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not against the law to, to not do so. It never has been technically against um, federal law. The, the mandates are, are requirements, but they're not codified into laws. Now, some state and local jurisdictions have had, you know, uh, uh, local ordinances that require mask wearing, and there have been fines and penalties that have gone with that. But, you know, for the most part, it has been, you know, we, we are, are trusting our, our neighbors, you know, our fellow Americans to do you know, the right thing to do the honorable thing if they are not vaccinated to continue to wear their mask, to continue to social distance and do all of those things. So, you know, short of, you know, some type of uh, mechanism for identifying those that have been vaccinated and your vaccination record card, you know, is that record. Uh, so, it, you know, it's strongly encouraged that you carry it with you so that if you're, you know, requested to show proof of vaccination, such as getting on an airplane, uh, you know, or, or you know, maybe uh, purchasing tickets to a, a sporting or other event at a venue, um, yet your, your card serves as your record of having received uh, the full complement of vaccination. So we, we'll see how that works out. But the, the fact that, um, so many people have gotten the vaccination. Uh, we are up somewhere around 47 or 48 percent of the you know, adult population of the country having been fully vaccinated and more than than 60 percent having received at least one dose of a vaccination uh, so that, you know, it, it is time for us and we're able to start relaxing some of the restrictions we've been living under for the last uh, 16, 17 months. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy for that. Uh, I'm happy that I'm vaccinated and, you know, 
looking forward to to resuming a more normal life. Uh, I have have a trip coming up uh, that will take me actually out of the country for a couple of days. So I'm glad to be fully vaccinated to help protect me against what um, might be out there, you know, at, at the destination I'm going to. Now, that's not going to stop me from while I'm there from you know, wearing my mask when out in public or in, in social settings and doing the things that are recommended. But I just feel more confident knowing that you know, I am fully vaccinated and uh, protected uh, from COVID you know, and variants uh, as well. So we'll see how that progresses. Um, but you know, going back to this article, and I'm, I'm quoting an article that came out of the Associated Press on the 13th um, titled great day for america vaccinated can largely ditch masks um you know they they talk about some of the numbers and you know they were talking about you know unvaccinated um people uh they interviewed nancy pelosi and she was asked uh, if all of the members of congress are vaccinated to which she replied no uh, recent estimates, according to the article, have put the percentage of unvaccinated lawmakers in the House at 25 percent. Um, the the ambiguity over who is and who isn't vaccinated led Lawrence Gostin, a public health law expert at Georgetown University, to declare the CDC guidance confusing and contradictory. And I want to dive into that for a little bit, because this this uh, accusation has seemed to plague the CDC throughout its efforts uh, at, at combating uh, and, and giving us information on the coronavirus. They have been frequently accused of, uh, you know, going back and forth, uh, flip-flopping on the information they've given us, going all the way back to early in the pandemic when they said, you know, it, it wasn't clear that masks were effective and they weren't, you know, recommending it as a mandate. And then that changed, uh, you know, so... You know, there has been a problem of communication out of the CDC. It's a well-known, well-documented, well-reported fact. Uh, and, you know, truth be told, you know, again, going back a year, we were in a prior administration and, you know, things were different. Um, now the CDC uh, and the, the medical professionals uh, seem to be much more forthcoming with information much more transparent about what it is that they're doing, what the results of testing is, you know, and, and so forth. Uh, in, in the last part of last week, it was announced out that the CDC was in the process of evaluating vaccinations for um, young people and children down as low as two years old. Uh, there's been a, a push to get a, a full authorization for the vaccine for uh, children uh, down to the age of 12 and and further study is is ongoing to see about getting vaccinations uh, allocated down to the age of two so you know we are working this problem through um, as you look at it you have to understand the magnitude of of the undertaking that occurred you know the the prior administration got us you know vaccines out into the marketplace under their operation warp speed and you know the current administration has taken that step and has moved it far forward and and deeper 
with getting millions of people vaccinated uh, every day uh, to, to get us to the point where we will uh, physiologically starve the coronavirus um, out of existence or at least into a state of dormancy that makes it no more of a nuisance, and I, I say that in quotes, uh, than the, the flu is for the American population every year. And as I've said before on this show and as others you know, in the science and medical communities have said, we will get to a point where COVID will be you know, one of those things that like the flu, you know, every, every fall or, or you know, when flu season's approaching, we're gonna be urged to go out and get our, our flu shot and our COVID shot uh, so that we remain protected. And it will just become a matter of everyday life. Um, you know, there, there's also been some controversy and discussions uh, about, you know, getting our children back into school. Uh, and, you know, there are groups out there who are, are anti-vaccine, who are saying that, you know, they don't want to have it a requirement for their child to have to be vaccinated against COVID in order to attend school. Now, frame that in the context of the fact that vaccinations prior to your children starting school have been a fact of life in this country for decades. Um, you know, as a child, you know, I remember back in the 60s, you know, we had to receive our vaccinations and our immunizations every year before we returned to school. As I raised my children growing up, they had to get their vaccinations every year uh, and immunizations every year, and we had to have the record of it before they would be allowed to go back to school. This is nothing different. This is something that we have been doing with you know, little fanfare, uh, very smoothly as part of the normal process of uh, bringing your children into school each year. So this, there's gonna be one more vaccination they will have to get. Um, you know, it, it, is, it, it is just something that we are going to have to absorb, adapt, and, and weave into the fabric of our everyday lives. So, you know, it is really interesting to see the comments that have come out around the CDC's announcement, which have ranged from uh, serious concerns to uh, humorous anecdotes. Um, one of the things I've heard is that uh, some people who are, are now fully vaccinated and can take off their masks um, are questioning as to why we couldn't do this before. You know, th there's been some question around, um, you know, does having so many people vaccinated give us all the freedom to remove our mask? And the answer is, you know, not necessarily. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind and, and really to bear in mind is that we have gone from uh, essentially a, a no response medically to this uh, pandemic other than isolation, um, you know, treatment for the symptoms and so forth to having a working, functional and effective system of vaccines uh, of three of them that uh, effectively are treating and reducing the impact of this pandemic, you know, in our country uh, in the space of less than two years. 
normally a a vaccine approach to a disease and you know as has been said is anywhere from a a five to ten year process uh you know one need only think to the fact that it took more than two decades to get to a treatment regimen for hiv and realize that the the medical and scientific community have made amazing strides in a very short period of time to get us to this point. Uh, we should be as equally uh, eager and anxious to do our part to make sure that we get, uh, you know, everybody that, that can be vaccinated, vaccinated. On the humorous side, and we'll, we'll close with on the humorous note, and uh, I, I have to say I've heard this you know, quite a few times just in my own, you know, personal circles, uh, you know, with work and, and, and social and so forth, how uh, people who have been seeing one another in masks for the better part of nearly a year and a half uh, or have met people, you know, who they've never seen unmasked, now all of a sudden we'll see them without a mask and go, do I know you? Who, who are you again? So... You know, we, we've got some adjustments to make, uh, but if, if that's the hardest of them, I'll take it. All right. Uh, let's um, let's move on to our second topic of this segment. And as much as I'd like to stay on on a, a lighter, more humorous note, um, this is really, you know, a, a serious story that I, I want to bring up. And uh, it goes back to something that I've mentioned a few times uh, on this show over the months. Uh, but most recently, I believe I brought it up last week. And it is related to the number of states that have been filing you know, voter, res- voter restriction laws or changing their voting process laws. And uh, the comment I brought up was that many of these laws uh, have some you know, similarities within them that would seem to suggest uh, a common author. And an article came out uh, on the 14th, and uh, this article, um, Nicholas Ricciardi and Anthony, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna massacre this name, Isa Gary, uh, wrote an article uh, talking about a national conservative group that was boasting of a secret role in voting in voting laws and the article talks about the head of a national conservative group told supporters it secretly helped draft legislation in republican controlled state houses across the country as part of a coordinated network of organizations pushing to tighten voting laws across the country Uh, jessica anderson who is the executive director of heritage action made the claim during a recent meeting with supporters in Arizona. A recording of the event was released by the liberal investigative website Documented, which made a copy available for the Associated Press to review, and that's what they are basing this article on. In some cases, we actually draft them for them, Anderson said, of legislation written for state lawmakers, or we have a sentinel on our behalf give them the model legislation so that grassroots from the bottom so that it has that grassroots from the bottom up type of vibe anderson's comments shed additional light on precisely how well funded national organizations 
have seized on false claims about the 2020 election to try and tighten state voting laws. While it is known that the Heritage Action and several other groups are working with state lawmakers on legislation, it is rare to hear a leader detail how a group masks involvement to give the bills the appearance of broad political support. I'll break in here. Um, this is not the first time that I have heard of this approach. There are a couple of other consulting firms uh, ahead of the 2016 uh, presidential election and uh, in very, very lesser amount, uh, almost unspoken in the 2020, but definitely in the 2016 election, where these think tanks would actually write the text of legislation and, and freely give it to state legislatures for them to edit, you know, make relevant to their particular state and go forward. Uh, and if you look at some of the laws that, that have passed in bunches over, over the last two, three decades, you will see that a lot of them are, are very similar in, in tone and content. And this is part of the reason why that is so. Going back to the article, a few details on how the uh, Heritage Group or Heritage Action uh, does their, their process with this. And, um, you know, the, the spokesperson gave the example of Georgia, where she said an activist affili affiliated with Heritage had given a letter outlining the group's recommendations to key legislators. The activist first had the proposal signed by thousands of other activists. Other states where she said the group had helped write bills included Iowa and Texas, though in Iowa, the authors of the voting legislation said they never spoke with Heritage. In a statement on Friday, last Friday, uh, Anderson said, Heritage Action is proud of our work to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. That work begins at the state level through our grassroots and continues in state legislatures throughout the country. Uh, it, it talks about you know, the article talks about several Republican-affiliated groups that jumped into elections issues for the first time after former President Donald Trump's false, false claims about election fraud led to the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. You know, so, you know, the January 6th continues to fan deep suspicions about the integrity of the country's voting systems, uh, particularly among GOP activists and donors. Uh, you know, and, you know, they have been a part of the efforts for new uh, voter registration and what some call voter restriction laws in states like Georgia, Florida, Iowa, Kansas, and others. Democrats, on the other hand, have argued that uh, the laws make it harder for people to vote and disproportionately affect black, Latino, young, and other Democratic-leaning voters. Republicans argue that the tougher rules will guard against fraud and are needed to restore trust in the election system. So, you know, the, the battle over the electorate uh, continues, even though, you know, we're now six months out from the presidential election uh, and in, in light of what we saw happen in the nation's capital on January 6th, we're still having the discussion uh, one side to the other about whether the election was rigged or, you know, was a fraudulent system or you know whatever other allegations that are going that are going on
she also cites uh, taking credit for an Arizona law that bans donation to election offices from outside groups. The law was meant to fight back against $300 million in donations from Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg last year. She also claimed credit for a controversial pr provision in Iowa that moves voters to inactive status after missing a single election. So, you know, there, there is a deep amount of division that this company is uh, trying to drive additional wedges into. Uh, and it really speaks to the fact that we, the electorate, we need to, to be very vigilant. Uh, something that has, has received light mention in the media over the last couple of weeks is the fact that some of these laws who are, you know, whether they admit to it or not, are targeted at certain Democratic-leaning constituencies, uh, particularly those of color, uh, poor people, and, and so forth, actually will, will have and are having a broader impact on Republican constituencies of voters, particularly in rural areas or people with limited access, uh, senior citizens who overwhelmingly vote by such mechanisms as vote by mail and early voting. So, you know, we need to be aware of what's going on and what it's doing to our election system and, you know, take into account that there, there have been no proven uh, cases of large-scale, widespread voter fraud uh, reported throughout the 2020 election cycle. Um, now, again, that, that's not to say that there haven't been a few people who've bent the rules or broke the law and so forth, but nothing in any amount that would have swayed the outcome of the election one way or the other. So again, our call to action as always is to stay vigilant, stay active, and stay in communication with our elected officials and let them know what we think and what we feel they need to be doing. All right, let's take our first break here. We'll come back and we're going to continue talking about uh, some political actions going on. You're listening to Fire It Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. This is Steve, and we'll be right back after the break. Hi, everybody. It's Barack. Now that every American over the age of 16 is eligible to get the vaccine, I want to talk about you getting yours. The vaccine is safe, it's effective. It's free. I got one. Michelle got one. People you know got one. And now you can get one too. It's the only way we're going to get back to all the things we love, from safely spending time with grandparents to going to concerts and watching live sports. So get the vaccine as soon as you can. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. And this is Steve, and you're here at Fired Up, and I do appreciate you joining me. So let's pick it up. Uh, we're going to continue talking politics. Uh, news came out uh, over the last uh, week or so uh, out of the state of Arizona where they had initiated an audit of the 2020 election results. Yes, we're still fighting that fight, apparently. And um, some controversy has come out of that audit on a couple of different fronts. Uh, but in, in uh, one of the articles that I've read, uh, it, it talks about 
you know, Arizona Republicans you know, had an opportunity in 2022 uh, or have an opportunity rather in 2022 to claw back uh, some of the ground they've lost as the state shifted toward Democrats. Uh, but the article states, but first, the fight over 2020 has to end. Uh, Republicans in the state are still divided over the result of the last election, months after President Joe Biden was sworn into office. An ongoing and extraordinary audit of the 2020 vote count in the state's largest county, rooted in conspiracy theories and the false belief that Biden's election was not legitimate, is deepening the schism six months after the election with no clear end in sight. Um, the GOP Senate, uh, GOP-controlled state Senate, rather, has subpoenaed ballots from Maricopa County, where more than half of Arizona's voters live, and hired a previously unknown private firm to conduct the audit. Republican uh, supporters say the effort is necessary to ease concerns of voters about the 2020 vote count. But other Republicans are speaking out to warn that the amateurish conduct of the audit and the conspiracy theories it has amplified could cause lasting damage to the party. Next year, they must defend an open governor's seat and try to flip back one of the two Senate seats Democrat took in the last two elections. And instead of a wake-up call inspired by those two Trump-era losses and Biden's narrow statewide victory, they worry the audit is the latest sign of the Republican Party marginalizing itself in a state where it once reigned supreme. So let, let's, um, let, let's dive in right there in, in this article. We'll, we'll come back to some more of it in a minute. But I wanted to just uh, take on a couple of the points that you know, it brought up. Um, one is that you know, we we are still, you know, as I said, fighting the 2020 fight uh, and in particular, the the chosen battlefields seem to be co uh, counties where there is the largest concentration of voters, but also where there is the largest concentration of minority voters, poor voters, um, you know, voters with limited access to the polling places rather than doing this as a statewide effort. We saw this happen in Georgia. Uh, we're seeing this happen in Arizona. It is uh, under, under consideration and starting in some areas of Florida where the Republican-controlled state legislatures are looking to, you know, for lack of a better term, build a wall around certain uh, counties and certain districts in their state uh, in an effort to uh, tighten what they believe are uh, voting processes that can lead to widespread voter fraud. And we, we talked about that in the first segment and we've talked about it. And I don't know how many shows are going on. Um, but more importantly, uh, it, it really is serving to exacerbate the the political divide in this country, but also it is serving to exacerbate not only the political divide in this country, but also the willingness for the Democrat and Republican parties to come together and work together because of the perceptions that doing so will alienate key segments of their voting base, 
which, you know, as we've talked about on this show, is something that both sides are highly allergic to. Neither side wants to offend their base uh, because they realize they need that base, uh, that core, in order to continue to, to win elections and continue to be successful in the political process. And that goes into what is part of our political problem here in this country, is that uh, our politicians, and you know, from the state level, the local level, all the way up to the federal, always seem to indicate that they are more concerned with getting reelected than doing what needs to be done in order to benefit the electorate, the American people. Uh, you know, as I've said many times on this show, and I hate to sound like a broken record, time and time again, we see situations where uh, uh, legislation or initiatives that have widespread, broad-based, bipartisan support of the American people are essentially ignored or cast aside and votes that are 180 degree opposed to it, um, you know, get, get pushed through. Um, you know, we, we can look at, you know, what happened with, at the federal level, we can look at what happened with the American Rescue Plan, the, the relief plan that the Biden administration put forward and signed into law uh, to assist the American people businesses and others in, you know, surviving, you know, the, the ongoing pandemic. Uh, we can look at the opposition and the fact that the Republican Party at the national level has decided to sit out any Biden-initiated uh, um, actions going forward in an effort to, you know, make it necessary for a Democratic-only uh, or a Democrat party only votes to occur on these bills. Now, there is a, a strategic reason they're doing this. Um, obviously, uh, it, it's, it's not just because, you know, they, they don't want to, to be engaged, but they are, take, they are making a political calculation that by, uh, by not outright saying no, you know, you know, becoming, as we've heard, you know, back in the past, you know, in, in 2010 and beyond, that, you know, they are the party of no. What they seems like they are going to do, what, you know, some people are talking about is that they are going to sit on the sidelines and utilize the filibuster to delay, obstruct, and otherwise interfere with laws going forward rather than come to a negotiating table and work out true bipartisan compromise. Now, that's not to say that efforts aren't underway to do that. Uh, just this past week, uh, there was a meeting with Republican leaders uh, with President Biden that by all reports was, uh, was a positive meeting and is leading, gonna lead to additional meetings uh, of the group this coming week. Uh, so, you know, there are efforts. Of course, there is the um, Problem Solvers uh, Caucus, uh, which is a, a bipartisan Democrat and Republican uh, group of uh, senators and congresspeople, 25 on each side, uh, that work actively to find the common ground, to find the, the compromises, to find the solutions to these issues that seem to be so divisive. 
and you know offer real world you know real time solutions on how we can move the this necessary legislation forward and you know in in the midst of that or or in addition to that you know we still see this you know one side versus the other the republicans are saying that they are not going to go along with the biden plans um, the Democrats are saying that because the Republicans are not going, going along, they are going to have to do this on a party line vote, um, you know, and and that also has its wrinkles in it uh, as as not everybody in the Democratic caucus is unified uh, and willing to vote forward uh, some of these proposals. Um, there have been arguments raised uh, by both Republicans and by some Democrats that you know what the Biden administration is proposing is a too big and b too broad uh, and doesn't focus enough you know and and there have been innumerable discussions around infrastructure in the last uh, three weeks or so uh, that the bill has too many things in it that aren't quote infrastructure related close quote and you know that a, a, a better bill that targets specific infrastructure needs uh, should be put forward that is more likely to garner bipartisan support. Um, but while we've got all that going on, we've still got areas of the country that are, are still stuck on 2020 and doing these actions uh, such as, you know, what's going on in, in Arizona. Um, you know, and, and returning to the article, I just want to um, pick up a couple of more uh, quotes here. Uh, one of the things that came out was, uh, and this came from a, a Bill Gates, a Republican Maricopa County supervisor. No, not that Bill Gates. This is a different Bill Gates. Um, what he was saying is that, first of all, you, need, you do need to get to a point where you say, okay, we're done. We have successfully or sufficiently addressed concerns that might be out there in the community. And, and he goes on to say, and I feel like we have gotten to that point. Um, he said the county's previous audit and recounts of ballots already determined there were no issues in the election. And this is a point we hear time and time again where, you know, the, the Republicans have called for investigations or lawsuits have been filed or recounts have been ordered where no evidence of, of any substantial, you know, election changing voter fraud has been found. You know, the, the previous administration filed more than 60 lawsuits uh, in, in like 18 states and none of them were in any way successful, save for one minor provision found in uh, a lawsuit filed in Pennsylvania, which had nothing to do with the vote count, what, but did have uh, and did address an issue with the process of counting votes. So, you know, the, the idea that these ongoing and continual recounts and audits uh, and lawsuits um, you know, just serve no more than to you know, maintain the division um, at, at best, make it larger at worst, and as a side effect, uh, further erode public confidence in a process that the 2020 election proved worked well. 
full stop. Um, but, you know, it, still, you've got people, another um, person, uh, Kelly Ward, the Arizona GOP chair, said in an email statement, the audit was being conducted because of the voters in the state who contacted the state Senate expressing concerns about the election. She dismissed Republicans who say it could hurt their chances next year. She goes on to say, and I quote, we are preparing for the 2022 elections, and we believe that fighting for election integrity will benefit our candidates in 2022. She criticized the media for focusing on former Republicans and a few current Republicans who questioned the audit. She concludes by saying, let the audit continue, and then we can talk about the results, Ward added. So, you know, it, it's, it's just on and on, circle after circle. And, you know, I'm in agreement. At, at some point, you know, to, to, to mix a metaphor here, at some point, the line is so tangled, you got to cut the line and, and, you know, cut bait and move on. Um, you know, the, the idea that you can relitigate a concluded election six months after the fact um, really does not serve uh, the greater good, um, you know, of, of what we need to do in this country with regard to elections. So, you know, again, where, where we need to get involved as the electorate, you know, for those of you who are in Arizona or know people in Arizona, urge them to get in touch with their, their state legislators and, you know, urge them to, you know, come to a conclusion to put put a point on this and move on. We, we've had enough of this back and forth, this circular argument going around and around and around uh, involving these disproven conspiracy theories. Um, you know, it, it is not serving our purpose uh, in, in any real sense, and all it does is just distract and further erode confidence in our election system. So... That being said, let's move into you know, our, our final story in this segment. And again, you know, we're, we're staying in the theme of uh, voting and you know, the, the actions being taken uh, to, you know, to, as they say, address a voting concern that no facts or evidence has been brought forward to prove exists. And this one comes out of the state of Mississippi where the Mississippi Supreme Court has used a technicality to completely throw out voter-approved amendments. Now, th this is a key point because one of the ways that um, state constitutions can be changed is by a voter amendment on a ballot, all right? So, in, in the article says... In a brutal loss for direct democracy in Mississippi, the state Supreme Court struck down a ballot amendment on Friday uh, that legalized medical marijuana in, sta in the state. But the ruling didn't stop there. Invoking a technical flaw in the law, the court invalidated the entire process for amending the state's constitution by popular vote. And, you know, the 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 quote is the killing of our ballot initiative process means that Mississippi is definitively the state with the least democracy, the most restricted ballot access, access 
and where voters' voices matter least when it comes to the deciding of our future. And this is quoted from Ashton Pittman, a reporter for the Mississippi Free Press. The Mississippi Supreme Court going on just just overturned the will of the people of Mississippi. Read a statement from Medical Marijuana MS, which organized Initiative 65 that would legalize the use of the drug. Patients will now continue the suffering that so many Mississippians voted to end. About 73% of voters supported legalizing medical marijuana, according to Pittman. Um, At the heart of the court's decision is a crucial flaw in the process that gives voters the power to amend the Constitution by popular vote. According to the law, organizers for ballot measures have to collect signatures from the five different congressional districts in the state. But since the the 2000 census, Mississippi dropped from having five districts to having only four. So in the court's understanding of the ballot approval process, it is now impossible to legally get an amendment on the ballot because the requirements demand organizers obtain signatures from a district that no longer exists. Um, a, a, a lawyer, Tyler Quinn Yeargain, uh, said, this is absolutely stunning, close quote. In the face of an outdated constitutional provision, the Mississippi Supreme Court just threw up its hands, killing the state's voter-initiated amendment process. The 6-3 majority ruling, the court acted as though it was completely bound to reach its conclusion. It even, success, it even suggested that the drafters of the ballot process may have intended to render it invalid should the state ever lose a congressional district, a claim that strains credibility to the breaking point. And there was a quote from, um, from the, the decision that reads as follows. Pursuant to the duty imposed on us by Article 15, Section 273 of the Mississippi Constitution, we hold that the petition submitted to the Secretary of State seeking to place Initiative 65 on the ballot for the November 3, 2020 general election was insufficient. Because Initiative 65 was placed on the ballot without meeting the Section 273 prerequisites for doing so, it was placed on the ballot in violation of the Mississippi Constitution. Whether with intent, by oversight, or for some other reason, the drafters of Section 273 wrote a ballot initiative process that cannot work in a world where Mississippi has fewer than five representatives in Congress. To work in today's reality, it will need amending something that lies beyond the power of the Supreme Court. So, uh, you know, the the idea here, and sometimes, I got to tell you, sometimes the law can be frustratingly uh, specific uh, or inflexible is a better word. And, you know, it, it just seems, and I get it, that, you know, the, the law needs to be, quote, absolute and that you can't have a whole lot of room for, you know, for wiggle in the words that are already there. However, it is something that is always subject to interpretation and also always something that can be, you know, addressed through an amendment process. Um, so the article goes on. 
uh, it said that for the process to be fixed, the state's constitution must be amended. But of course, that's now impossible to do by ballot measure, so it will only happen if the legislature permits it. So, you know, while uh, going after and, and you know, striking down this proposed amendment for legalizing medical marijuana, you know, you, you have to take a broader view of this and realize that there are other inequities and other issues with the Mississippi Constitution that, you know, could require a, a, an amendment in order to fix, which can't happen until there is an amendment to the Constitution to, to eliminate the five-district uh, requirement, which can't be done because you don't have five districts, so you can't amend the amendment requiring five districts. Um, for, for those of you that, that read the book Catch-22 in high school, you kind of see where this is going. It, it, it is literally a Catch-22 of circular logic that, that this process is trapped in. Um, you know, and the, the legislature is the only avenue to correct these necessary amendments to the state's constitution, uh, you know, that are allowed. The people have effectively been locked out of the process beyond whatever influence they have on their elected officials. And, you know, looking at a broader picture nationally, we see how well that works, um, you know, it, it, it really, really um, shifts the power of control of the, the laws in the state to solely be in the hands of the legislature. It, you know, it, it, it kills Mississippi's citizen initiative process. And, you know, the... The, the arguments being that the, the legislature uh, is the rightful body that should make these kinds of changes, uh, essentially, you know, a, a backhanded way of saying, you know, the people don't understand it well enough in order to know what they're doing, close quote. And I'm putting words out there. This is not, you know, quoted in the article or anything like that. But, you know, it, it, is, it is what... I feel and I perceive as happening both, you know, as indicated here in Mississippi, but also in the broader context, as I've mentioned before, about those elements or those initiatives uh, or those proposals that have overwhelming, you know, appeal and support of the, the full breadth of the American electorate, you know, regardless of party, Democrat or Republican, uh, yet you know, the, the party in power or the minority party will exercise their specific judgment to determine what needs to happen, uh, essentially, you know, ignoring the will of the people, which in our Constitution is supposed to be the whole reason we have the type of government we have. We elect people, we elect individuals to gather, to do our work to create laws to to manage our country on our behalf. We tell them, you know, to, to go and do these things. What we see happening is we're telling them to go and do these things and they are going and doing something entirely different 
because of, you know, different influences from different sources and so on and so forth. But for whatever reason, the people are being ignored. And this is something that we, the people, are going to have to to stand up, uh, take a firm position and say, no, you will not operate that way. And if you continue to operate that way, we will find people to replace you with who will do what the people are sending them there to do. And, you know, this goes back to, you know, I mean, I've been talking about, you know, a third viable third parties. I've been talking, you know, about uh, gathering the the caucuses within the the Congress and the Senate together to form a voting block that would listen more closely to the people in order to achieve the people's business uh, as we want it to happen. You know, essentially, you know, add to that the fact that there are people in our government, both state and federal, who have been there for an, an, a ridiculously long time. And, you know, new ideas, fresh blood needs to be in those chambers in order to keep them connected to the people they represent. So, you know, something for us to continue our, our communications with our elected officials on, something something of one of the key calls to action that we call for here on this show week after week, month after month, is letting our elected officials know that they are in office because we put them there and we can take them out. And then having the will as the voters to do that. You know, so that's that's where we are. There, there's still a lot of struggle that we need to to engage with. There are still a lot of issues that we need to find some way to bring our elected officials to heal on so that they are, are doing, you know, our bidding and not just freewheeling and doing what other uh, influencers are telling them to do. So uh, it's another call to action. As always, I always like to leave you with, you know, essentially a homework assignment. Uh, if you have comments on any of the stories I've covered uh, on today's show, please send an email. Uh, communicate with the show. That's the other call to action. Communicate back to me. Let me know what you think. Send an email to fireduppradio at yahoo.com. Give me your opinion. I really love to hear it. So let, let's do that. Let's open a dialogue. Let's start a discussion ourselves. Uh, and you know, let, let's move our, our issues forward. As always, uh, please stay safe. Even though the mask restrictions uh, have been lifted and are being lifted, you know, across the states, please make sure that you're staying safe, that you're you're doing what you need to do when you need to do it in order to keep yourself, your community, and our country safe. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate it as always. You're tuned in to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. This show is part of that reimagining, and I am internally grateful for your ears. I look forward to speaking to all of you again in seven days. Stay safe, everyone.
this message wherever you stand I'm calling every woman calling every man we're the generation we can't afford to wait the future started yesterday and we're already late